Um, I'm going to start now. So welcome uh, to my Art of Retreat little live podcast. Uh, so for those who don't know, what I've been doing is I have been finding interesting people who were meant to be coming to the European Art of Retreat this year and interviewing them about things that I find interesting. Um, the background of this is that this week was meant to be the start of Art of Retreat in Europe, which was a big gathering where about 100 uh, different parkour practitioners were going to descend on Scotland go to a tiny little island and just talk about uh, parkour and movement and the whole community. And um, because we can't have that, because we are in the midst of a pandemic, I hope you've noticed. Um, instead, we're having these little chats. Um, so today I'm going to be uh, interviewing Naomi and Billy. Um, Naomi is a parkour coach a life coach and a behavioral change expert. She helps people to reset, re-energize and take action so they reach the goals and fulfillment they really want in life and at work. Billy's a natural movement coach based in the UK and hates writing about himself in the third person. His goal is to help people become stronger and healthier, both physiologically and physically. And Naomi, can you start by giving us a bit of an overview about what a life coach actually is, what services you offer and what sort of changes you hope to affect in your clients? Yeah, sure. Um, so I help my clients to make changes. Um, so that can be all sorts of things, recognizing their skills and their dreams, refocusing their life goals, and often moving past challenges that stand in the way of those goals. Um, so I work with people in all sorts of different ways. My speciality is around um, well-being and confidence. And particularly at the moment, I'm doing quite a lot of work around stress, avoiding burnout and so on. Okay, and Billy. Um, sorry. Oh, oh um, would you like to tell us a little bit about Momentum and what you do? Yeah. Um, well, similar to Naomi, we help people, me and my partner, help people make changes in their lives. And generally, mine's more about, uh, Movementum is more about helping people move better and move more often and become more physically healthy in their lives. Um, I work with people to help them improve their movement skills and help them adjust their lifestyle to be uh, better for their body in the long term. And my partner works with people that have chronic long-term injuries, chronic long-term pain, and helps them work through it and discover a way to not be in pain anymore. Awesome. So what I like about both of you is that you both kind of sit parkour adjacent and you're both definitely parkour practitioners with a foot in the world of parkour but you're also just enough out of it to be able to see it with a bit more clarity. So can we just start by talking about how you both see parkour and how it fits within your toolkit? Sure. Um, yeah, so for me, in parkour, I find it's, it's all about self-development, right? And that's what I do as well. So parkour is about self-development, you know, a lot in the physical realm, but anyone who practices it, you know, no, totally knows that it's not just physical. Um, but I think it's all about seeing something that you want to do and then developing yourself and working towards it until you can, essentially. And it's balancing skill and strength and confidence and facing fears about it and so on. And I do, in my coaching, I, we do exactly the same. It's just less physical. So I think there are a lot of similarities. And I think that's a lot why I love it as well. It's this, I love the same things about coaching as I love about parkour. You know, there's a lot of exploring and having fun and playing around and also going, oh my God, this is 
both important and scary and interesting and appealing and yeah all of that i um i definitely feel the same the longer i spend time in the world of parkour and i kind of the more i begin thinking about it in a more and more abstract manner so i stop thinking about hey can i do this jump and i instead think about hey can i learn a new language or hey can i take this thing about myself that i've always been bad at and turn it into a strength because it's just it becomes that that mindset becomes quite infectious it just becomes the way you think about everything um, yeah. so it's cool to hear that you kind of always had the other the opposite experience where you had all those skills before and then you went oh and parkour does this too well and no actually it wasn't that way around was it not no parkour totally came first for me oh i, I did parkour for years and i worked in you know business and so on and it was the parkour stuff of developing myself and seeing other people develop themselves and approaching all these the difficult scary things and also parkour taught me a whole different way to look at the world and to look at challenges and it was that aspect of parkour that I loved that then made me start thinking about how do I apply that stuff in other ways that's an even cooler story <laughs> <laughs> thanks yeah totally honestly parkour changed my life in so many ways cool Billy what about you what's your relationship with parkour um parkour to me was kind of the basis of how I got into natural movement it, it again it came first and then what I do now grew from that it was the first time that I came across um the concept of being fit to be useful and um moving around the space I'd, I'd always done it in kind of a casual non not knowing what parkour was way or what natural movement was way but I'd um yeah, it was the first time I was introduced to, well, interacting the space, moving around. Um, and then as that, yeah, as that grew, I kind of started kind of picking up bits from other places and adding them to my practice. And I'd say that my natural movement practice is based on parkour. I think a lot of people come up, come up at it from different perspectives, but that is now just kind of a, I wouldn't say a small part, but a medium sized part of the greater whole of why what I practice. So what other areas do you really pull from in that case? Um, so are we talking about things like the work Rafe Kelly does, Ido Portal does? Are we talking about more like the biomechanist work of um, Katie Bowman? Where are you pulling from? Um, all of the above. I've kind of tried to, I've got a couple of cake bones that's there and kind of trying to draw as much of them together as possible, even to the degrees of kind of going, I'm trying to expand my movement base and that's what I try to help them with, expanding their movement base as far as possible, even when it gets to swimming and throwing and running and climbing, trying to draw as many different practices together and find the most useful things out of those. I, I think a lot of it for me comes down to becoming a capable person which is you know parkour again that's from the first first time i heard the phrase be fit to be useful i think i really that's one of the things that i find the most interesting about it about everything that i do is trying to become a more useful person for myself and for other people around me cool so um, what i'm doing with 
everyone that I talked to, and I think this would be a really good moment for you guys to sort of set out your stalls in a way, is kind of trying to find out what books or sources of inspiration or other authors that you really pull from. Um, can you guys maybe give me, you know, like, who are you thinking about? Who are you reading about? Whose work influenced you the most? Who should I be reading about? You go, Billy. Okay. Um, yeah, I think Katie Bowman, for me, is one of the biggest influences I've had as far as someone that's um, highly educated on the subject of the body, but then is also looking at it from a left, also doing a lot of thinking on the subject of how we, how much we know about biomechanics and how much we know about the body and whether everything that people are already doing is correct or whether we need to reevaluate what we're looking at. And I'd say the first one to look at would be um, Rugo DNA, which is mm-hmm. probably her, I wouldn't call it the basic book, but the kind of a good baseline of what she does. and The call to action, yeah. Um, yeah. What I like about Katie's work is that it's very accessible. You don't need yes. to be an expert to read it. A lot of more complicated books in the fitness industry, you need to be in the fitness industry to understand. You don't for Katie's work. Mm, definitely. And I think she's also quite inspirational when you kind of, not just from her book, but when you look into her further, the person that I think she's a mother of three, but she's still trying to, she's got multiple centers she'd opened up to help people. And she did recently a challenge where she was trying to walk, I can't remember what it was, it was 400 miles in a month for her 40th birthday or something like that. And kind of all these different things and how she manages to fit it all in. I mean, she talks about it in the concepts of stacking, which is something she talks about in her books, but the way she manages to get, manage to do so many things. And she does a lot of stuff within her local community as well, which again, is very inspirational that she has this wider reaching power, I guess. And then it seems to also do a lot of things with her local community and her friends and her family. Cool. Anyone else we should be thinking about? Um, sorry, sorry, I brought, brought some books in so I knew I'd forget. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to remember anything on the fly. Um, so I do quite like this book by Scott Carney, uh, What Doesn't Kill Us. And it's about, um, it, it goes into a lot of it's about Wim Hof, which I have some questions about the Wim Hof method as a whole. But I think it's interesting, the idea of becoming stronger through adversity, through difficulty. And not that you should always put yourself through adversity per se, but that, for instance, constantly having the heating on your house may not be a positive impact on your life because it makes you less able to deal with cold or um, always driving somewhere makes you less capable of walking somewhere or carrying something or you know these kind of aspects of adding difficulty into your life or adding something difficult into your life to make you stronger and more mentally and physically capable. Cool. Naomi where would you like to pick up on uh, interesting people to learn about from there? Well, do you know, so, because um, you gave us some questions to think about, and that was one of them, and I, and I had this real, like, oh my god, I don't know, what, and I felt, oh god, am I some complete fraud, because I'm not, <laughs> up on stuff. I mean, I've got stuff, you know, um, the coaching that I do, there's, you know, I train through a particular school of coaching, but, you know, generally coaching techniques and so on, but actually I realised it's because so much of what I do, and what I'm really interested in and the work all the coaching work that I do is a lot about kind of trying to get people back to who they are 
like really who are they at their core let's go rediscover that let's go have fun play with that um and so rather than and you know it's wonderful to get in expertise from the outside all of that i'm not in any way saying that's not a good thing it's just my approach is a lot of go you know what let's forget about what you should be who you should be all the stuff you should be doing let's just go what are you interested in what are you you know what are your gifts and skills and passions that maybe haven't um kind of had the haven't had time and light to be explored and grow since you were a kid which is for most of the people I work with, which is usually professionals, midlife, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s. It's a lot of the time it's people who have so lost touch with who they are and with the kind of stuff they're interested in and passionate about. And they can almost only um, see themselves through the perspective of who should I be? What should I have achieved by now? What should I be doing, be good at? And so I'm trying to strip all that away. So that's my excuse for why I have no books that I, well, I do have one book that I can recommend actually that's lovely for that kind of thing. What I, is it? It's called Ice Cream for Breakfast. <laughs> yes. It says how rediscovering your inner child can make you calmer, happier, and solve your bullshit adult problems. It is genuinely a lovely book. I really do recommend that one. You're the um, second person to recommend that book to me recently. Oh my god, it's so good. Seriously, it's great. Um, you're also actually, I don't know if you know this, but you're paraphrasing a lot of Carl Rogers' work. Uh, oh, he's, no, influential, he's an influential psychologist. Um, he wrote a book called On Becoming a Person That You Might Enjoy. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I think I'm definitely aware of it. I'm really bad with names um it's okay i'm i'm uh i'm i'm known for my love of books and therefore i always like to ask that question because i find new things to read and new perspectives um but let's let's sort of pivot from here um because i don't know if you guys have noticed but we're hitting up against the four week mark of the lockdown right now four weeks um there are many aspects of society that we can do without for shorter periods um but as we get deeper into this lockdown and this becomes the new normal uh what does a human being need and i'm saying need in order to remain healthy lots of things <laughs> um where do you start with that question is well, should we start physical and kind of move into mental and emotional well-being? So let's let's start yeah. with the let's go that way around. Um, obviously, we need the basics: food, water, oxygen, which I think hopefully we're all getting some of in this. Clean air is interesting. Hmm? Clean air. People are spending more yeah. time at home. That's an interesting one. Clean air is an interesting one, especially when we're spending a lot of time indoors. I mean, we already have quite an issue with clean air outside if you're living in a big city but especially indoors it does seem to be um quite a big problem that i've noticed even just in my own home this place that i live in is quite a rundown flat and when i got here there was quite a lot of mold and it's been a, this constant battle to keep the mold out of the house and I've noticed when going around other people's houses, they often don't address it as an issue, but fungal spores in the air can have 
dramatic kind of uh, dramatic effects on your lungs and on your health in general. Um, and there's there's not just that, but then there's the fact that most modern day plastics and chemicals and glues and paints do this thing called off-gassing. And off-gassing is when they let off um, a gas as they dry. And they continue to do it pretty much forever as sunlight hits it, as, as it exists. It starts to break down and chemicals are released into the air. Um, most people probably heard of formaldehyde. Some glues and paints let off formaldehyde as they off-gas. And that can continue happening for years and years and years. And that's why you get um, people say they like like a new car smell, but the new car smell is basically just the off-gassing all the horrible chemicals from your car. So to say you like the, the um, new car smell is kind of a pretty bad thing, really, because it's just all of the bad they're stuff not, leaking they're not out. All of them. bad. Some of You're them not are all bad. bad. No, some no. of them are totally <laughs> Some of them are fine, but some of them are bad. <laughs> But yeah, what can people do for that? Yeah. What can people do then? Because with the fresh air, I mean, I leave, I windows are always open in my yeah, flat. That, that's Every step time. one. Definitely step one. Keep your windows open as much as you can throughout the day. Um, try to not let your house get too damp so that mold can't have a chance to grow. And really, the best thing you can do is as well spend as much time as you can outdoors, which is what we're lacking at the moment. But I know some people that, even though they're not particularly vulnerable themselves, have decided not to leave their house almost at all. And I think it's, although I understand why they're doing it and why they believe that it's the best thing to do, I think if you can get out of the house safely, not cause any likelihood of um, infection for anyone else, then it's definitely something you need to be doing every day at the moment. Because even if you spend most of your time indoors anyway, um, often people are traveling at least to work some ways traveling out of the house for some moments in the day and it's um quite worrying that people are willing to just spend all the time indoors all day especially if they don't have a garden that they can go sit in if you've got a garden working outside is or being outside is one of the best things i'd recommend so where do you sit in terms of um, a lot of people argue that houseplants have a really positive effect on indoors Houseplants, from the research I've done, houseplants do have a positive effect. And if you can get them, then great. But I think a lot of people at this point don't already have houseplants. And I've tried to look into getting more houseplants and I'm struggling. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Is this like uh, flower, another thing that's just sold out? Hello? Is this like flower, another one of those things that's sold out? It's not so much that there's, well, they, they are sold out to some degree, but it's also just that the shops that are open generally don't sell that many houseplants. The supermarkets sell some, but it's limited in your selection. And if you're trying to look for particular things like um, uh, peace lilies and things like that, which apparently the research has done has greater effects on, um, on the air quality of your house, it's harder to find the specific plants. You can get a plant, but some plants are more or less effective at um, putting more oxygen into the air, potentially filtering dust. The, the, NASA did a study on how much certain plants can filter dust from the air, but it seems like quite a complicated study that people have not agreed with, depending on who you listen to. Um, but there haven't been that many studies done there. But I think that, personally, the I think the plants... Hmm? The, that's the one with the spider plants. 
came out on top, isn't it? The... I think so, yeah. Um, but there are other benefits as well to having plants in your house, which, um, again, not incredibly well researched, but there does seem to be some connection of being around um, chemicals and gases let off by plants that seems to have some kind of beneficial effect in our body but I, I haven't I personally haven't researched enough on that subject to, be able to talk exactly about it but it's a, an interesting line of inquiry. There's probably um, more evidence suggests that having greenery around you has a better impact on your mental health which you know me mm. I don't know if you want to might want to speak to. I definitely um, find that I mean that's like yes we should research shows that as well it's totally my personal experience I have loads of plants in my flat and I'm incredibly lucky that I've got a little balcony as well and actually the fact that I'm incredibly lucky I have a little balcony it's a very sunny balcony um and I it's been locked down what three weeks now four weeks four weeks and I planted some seeds at the beginning I mean I've got various plants and I chucked some seeds out there and honestly seeing them come up seeing the little flowers at the bastarding little sparrows keep eating but um like my clematis open today and just going out and having that little oh life and greenery and freshness it makes a huge difference to me and absolutely it's been shown research that time around greenery growing things plants trees is really beneficial like beneficial for blood pressure for um health stress depression levels all of that so yeah if you can get hold of some plants and it doesn't have to be whole plants like seeds take and seeing them come up is oh I don't know there's something wonderful about life carrying on and in a really normal way that I just find emotionally it's very important for me especially during spring when like, this is the time when we'd all be getting out of our houses after having spent six months in them too much yeah um, so obviously we've talked about air quality getting out of the house um, getting out of the house where possible uh, what about, you know, let's talk about physical exercise for a second. What should we be doing? Can we be doing? What's sensible? What sort of levels are really ideal here? Uh, I think what's quite interesting is that since being in lockdown, I've had very little motivation to exercise. And that's something that I'm struggling with, particularly at the moment, is that me and my partner basically have to make, make an agreement that we're going to do some half an hour of some kind of exercise and then go out for a walk because if i enjoy the walk i don't enjoy doing the half an hour exercise i just feel very limited and i think that it's hard to say how much you should be doing i think or well, naomi would probably be better at talking about this than me but it's more the idea of doing what you can without kind of affecting yourself mentally and making yourself even feel even worse about the whole situation. Um, but the one thing I would say is that um, one thing that I do anyway is I live furniture free. So you may not know, be able to tell, but I'm sitting on the floor right now and this is my desk, which is, you know, what, a foot off the floor. And we don't have any, we have very little furniture in the whole of our house. We have a few tables. We have one chair, which we use for a particular type of therapy stuff uh, on people's feet and that's basically it and it even though we haven't been out as much this winter as we wanted to it's been very wet we generally have remained quite fit and quite healthy, healthy and quite mobile maybe not 
gaining strength, maybe not, you know, getting massive and bulky, but just generally having to get up and down to the floor, having to sit in different positions like this position where I'm just sitting with my knees up or cross-legged or in a wide straddle. Um, it definitely promotes more movement throughout the day without you ever having to do anything. So I'd say that's obviously in the, at the moment with the tips closed and with everything going on, it's probably not the time to try and remove all the furniture from your house. But just spending more time on the floor, I think, is something that's I've found for the last five, six years now has been a very positive change in my life. Um, what exercise are you recommending right now, Naomi? What are you doing to keep yourself active and fit right now? Mm. I mean, I'd recommend sort of as much as you can do. And that's a mix of the physical limitations about time, what you can touch and so on. And absolutely, Billy, I'm totally feeling that as well, the kind of motivation. And so many people are, because we've lost so many of our motivational cues about other people and fun group stuff that you might be doing. And the fact that you can be outside and that's a wonderful positive thing to do, as opposed to right now, you know, there are limitations and, um, so, I mean, for me, I found right at the beginning, I had a really hard time motivating myself to do some exercise. And the thing that really helped me was firstly talking to a friend and kind of setting up a pact of like, right, I'm going to do this. And just telling someone else was really helpful. The other thing is I've just put in, I've had to, set, I'm looking behind my computer here. I've had to set up a little chart for myself of to do, doing, done for the day. And I have different categories of, work stuff and sort of not quite chores but other I guess and exercise is one of them and I've got regular stuff that I'm doing each day one thing is go out for a walk for half an hour totally um another is I've got I do I mean it's it's not a lot but it just really helps if I go okay I do 100 either lunges or squats 50 sit-ups 25 press-ups it doesn't take long it takes me you know 10 minutes but I tick it off each day and because it doesn't take long, I know I can do it. And because I do it, I'm like, I'm doing something. <laughs> and just that feeling of both it's good for me emotionally and physically to actually do the exercise, but also to have something that's completely manageable. So like you're right, I'll do Billy or I'll do half an hour and then we'll go for a walk or whatever. Just something that you go, I know I can do that. Even if I'm having a really tough day, I for me, that makes a really big difference. So it's really interesting because you brought up this idea of scheduling. So I see kind of two narratives about scheduling. One is that you really do need to have some level of structure to your days or they sort of fall apart. And then there's another argument we might want to spend a little bit of time talking about, which is that this is a very traumatic period for a lot of people. And so that idea of forcing them into these rigid structures straight up from their rigid structured lives it's probably not the healthiest way of dealing with the fact that so much is going on. How do you see that? Where would you sit? Is there more than one way of looking at that situation? I'd say two things about that. So one is, um, I think it's important to have some base stuff that you go, I know I, I feel better if I do these things. Like, that's really important to me. But the other is not being too harsh on yourself. So if you don't do them, don't like beat yourself up about it. Just be like, oh, okay, apparently I'm not doing that today. You know, and worry if it's days and days where you're not doing it. But if it's one day, let it go. Um, but I find having a base structure of, okay, and what do I want to achieve today? And I'm not strict about it. I'm just like, it's easy. If I've got it there of like, 
I'm going to do this today. If I don't do it, okay, but having it as a plan helps me to do it. And the other thing I find is I don't like to have between this hour and this hour, I'm going to do this. I just have a list of things. And then depending how I'm feeling across the day, I will do some for most of them. Yeah. Another thing that's been really important for me actually is I have something creative up there as well. Mm. Something creative in the day. Doesn't matter what it is, can be five minutes, can be two hours. That really, really helps as well. It's interesting. The one that seems that I can seem to keep coming back to, which is working really well for me, is that I really feel like I need to achieve something most mm. days. And what I, I'm very loose in my definition of that. Sometimes that might just mean meeting the base needs, cooking a big meal. Sometimes that might mean um, rebuilding an entire room in my home because I'm insane. Um, but that idea of like, oh, actually, I can go to bed now because I feel like today was had value. I added value to my world today. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. You kind of, you come back to that idea. Um, so my friend, when I, um, when we sorted out like the exercise and this and that, and she gave me something that I didn't know actually, a GLAD, G-L-A-D. So it's something I'm grateful for, something I've learned, something I've achieved and something I'm delighted with from the day. And I just have that as a little journal at the end of the day. But again, I don't do it every day, but most. And I find that really nice. And sometimes I'm like, oh my God, what did I learn today? But then it's quite random. And yesterday, actually, what I learned was that a certain amount of chaos is necessary for me to be creative. But if I tidy everything away, I find it really difficult to click into a creative state. I thought it was a really interesting thing to learn. Um, what was that again? G was? G, grateful. Grateful, learned, learned achieved, achieved. And delighted with. Delighted. I don't get delighted very often. Interesting. That's a bit of a, it can be a bit of a stretch, but it's a good one. Cause I feel like it's sort of a achie- um, grateful, but on steroids. And I have to, <laughs> you know. Okay, so shall we expand a little bit? We've talked about the sort of things we need, and so really, what well, maybe the, the conclusion is relatively simple. There, we need fed, watered, exercised, and we need some level of structure. Um, but kind of if we're trying to meet these things, but we're also kind of getting a bit stuck. So let's say we're stuck in a whole range of poor habits. We're drinking some alcohol every evening. Um, we're sleeping at odd hours and all over the place. Suddenly it's 3 a.m. and I'm still awake because I've been watching Netflix. And uh, the entire the idea of um, implementing all these goals and achieving things. And I'm kind of in one of those places where it's just getting me down a little bit. And I want to change. I want to make changes. Where should I start? Um, for me, that's an interesting question because that's something that I struggle with my whole life not just in this particular time period not just having a life of chaos essentially not just having a life of whatever happens happens and for me and this is this is just a personal experience thing the thing that's helped me is is to not try to fix them all at once because every time i try to fix all the things at once everything has collapsed again after three or four days or a week or maybe even a month and it's all just collapsing itself and gone back to just whatever is happening but for me it's it's been about trying to just do kind of like you were saying forehead about say doing one thing and just being like okay even if you've got 10 things on a list just being able to tick 
one thing off and say, okay, today I did this, or today I didn't have a drink, or today I did something, and then steadily trying to increase it. And steadily might be one new thing a day, one extra thing a day. Steadily might be one extra thing a week or one extra thing a month. Depends on how stuck in the in the rabbit hole you are of this cycle. But yeah, for me, that's something I've been doing with, I've been writing in my diary every day, a list of things. And if I've managed to at least tick one or two of them off, I feel like, yeah, okay. It's better than yesterday. Things <laughs> <laughs> are getting better. The cycle is getting more manageable. And trying to take back control of my life instead of letting the, I don't know, instead of being reactive to everything, trying to manage myself better. Take up one proactive step. I like mm, that. Exactly. How do you see that, Naomi? Mm. So I'd say that definitely make it something small and manageable. I think it's really important. Um, the other thing, and I think, I find this is really big and I talk about this a lot. So I've talked about it in terms of parkour and also in all my coaching work, self-talk, how you talk to yourself about what you're doing. And I do think that's really important. So something like you do one thing, you make one little change and something that's really important. So if you, if like, as Billy's saying, you have a list of 10 things and you do one of them, there are, you have choices about how you look at that. Do you go, okay, I did one of them. Good. All right. Or do you go, oh, I did one of them, but I'm useless because I didn't do nine. And that can make a really big difference, right? Because if you make one small change, um, the way I always talk about it is talk to yourself as you would to a really good friend who is in trouble or to a child or something like that. If someone does something good, it doesn't matter if like on the scale of was it good enough or little, scrap that. If someone's done something, go well done. You know what? Well done. Good job on doing that one thing. Even if it was not having one more beer, if you made a choice not to, then go, okay, I'm proud of myself for that. And I think that's really important because it makes a difference of, like, say, um, say uh, I'm thinking about, oh, am I going to eat some chocolate, right? If I, and I go and think about, oh, do I want some chocolate? I eat some chocolate. If I come back and I'm beating myself up for eating the chocolate, then I'm being beaten up, right? What often happens, people go, okay, let's say I don't eat the chocolate, I'm gonna come back and I'm still going, well, that was ridiculous. You shouldn't be that pathetic of thinking that you're gonna <laughs> And you get beaten up anyway, right? Without even having the chocolate. <laughs> so you kind of get beaten up either way. And one way you get a chocolate and the other way you don't get a chocolate. Of course you have the chocolate, right? Because then at least- Do you like chocolate. That. Yeah. And the alternative is, I think just being kind to yourself. So if there's something like I'm not getting the sleep I need, we have choice about, oh, I'm stupid. I should be going to bed early and I'm being ridiculous. Or there can be a like, okay, come on, you're tired. You're not functioning well. Put, you know, put Netflix away, shut, turn off the TV, whatever, go to bed. Like, like you would to someone you really care about who is overtired. And then in the morning, go, well done. You went to bed early, good job. You know, anything like that. And it sounds like such a small thing, but it actually makes such a big difference about whether we're able to make those changes and whether we're able to stick to them. Because when we encourage ourselves or when we are encouraged, and it's something that a really clear way to think about it is how do we talk to children and we're nice to them, right? And if we shout at them, it doesn't get good results. And if we say, 
hey, come on, well done. Oh, that's good. Oh, well done. You, whatever it might be. It just makes it so much easier to do stuff because it means it's kind of coming from a place of gentleness and where we get rewards for, and the reward being love and kindness. For, I mean, I, it's, I know that sounds quite sappy, but actually it's so important of just being nice, being nice people and being nice to ourselves, just as we would to someone else who's struggling. It makes a very big difference. It's, it's really interesting to hear you. Um, I'm reading quite a lot of cognitive neuroscience right now, you know, part of the course. Um, and one of the things that is sort of fascinating and fits exactly into what you were saying is that um, negative experiences are five times more likely to be encoded into the brain than positive experiences. And therefore we remember the negatives and it makes perfect evolutionary sense. You know, we, we don't need to remember all the positive things that happened, but if that tiger that one time killed you, you need to, rem or, you know, you need to remember it killed you that doesn't make any sense <laughs> follow me um, so it's really interesting that that mindset idea becomes so strong which is if you just be nicer to yourself it's fine and that you have the, and maybe it's just like telling people they have the option because a lot of people don't know they have that option mm. because their brains are programmed to see negatively absolutely absolutely mm. and partly Partly it's a social thing and partly absolutely it's a neurological thing that and we kind of think oh I need to whip myself into shape about this and it's obvious and it's because if there's something very bad or very serious we do need something scary or angry or uh, to make us alert and stop doing that thing so we kind of think oh the way to not do that thing is to have a negative experience and in some ways it is but it's not, it's very useful in a critical life or death scenario, and it's not terribly useful in a regular life, which is now most of our, you know, that's most of our lives. We're not in critical life or death scenarios. Hmm. I think it's interesting because along these kind of lines, kind of bringing it to parkour for a moment and, and high level, not just mainly high level is what, sorry, start that again. <laughs> um, kind of bring it back to parkour. I've, been me and my partner have been kind of running a, a very informal anecdotal study on some of the high level level athletes in some of the sports we follow sport parkour you know different kinds of competitive sports and one thing that we've noted a lot of is that people at the highest level are often incredibly happy show incredible happiness when they achieve something so you see um somebody do a big jump some kind of big precision and it's, it's definitely not all athletes but a lot of them seem to almost you see that explosion of joy after they've completed something it, it creates this positive feedback loop of I did this thing I should be really happy about it which is something that I've me and my partner haven't particularly ever been like in our lives having this kind of happiness after doing something it's I've I've experienced some but it's been a bit more like oh okay well moving on to the next one and it's not been particularly helpful, but the more we see, more we've noticed it, the more we noticed, um, especially some of the high level um, pole dancers that we follow on social media, they do a move and then they like run around screaming and hug everyone. And you're like, well, of course, you're gonna wanna do more of that, aren't you? Your body's naturally going to want to do more of that if every time you do something, which is very impressive, obviously, but every time you do something, 
you get this huge amount of excitement and happiness inside you. And yeah. It's really interesting because um, I think in contrast to that, a lot of high level sports people in very competitive sports are miserable. Like it's quite common for high level athletes to finish their careers and be depressed or to be actively and they'll tell you like it's, it was a horrible experience training for the Olympics because I had to give up everything I wanted. So it's interesting that you kind of bring it specifically to these movement sports and say, hey, those people are really happy when they achieve. It's definitely not everyone because I, I've definitely seen some more of the kind of sad, slightly depressed looking people that almost look pissed off they didn't do something slightly more difficult, even though they clearly did something incredible. But I think it's interesting that those two sides can both reach the same level as each other, but one can be very happy about it and one can be very sad about it or very sad about the whole experience that they're having. And yeah, I think, I think it's interesting to see that there's, there's more than one way to do it and one way you can actually enjoy the process and one way you can get to the same end result and just be incredibly unhappy with it. Mm. My guess is those two groups are quite discreet there's not a lot of overlap between the two and there might be this is completely like me thinking I've got you know no research but that it might be that if you're really really pushing yourself pushing yourself pushing yourself you might get higher it wouldn't surprise me if that were the case if the kind of um people who weren't terribly happy were actually like the gold medal winners kind of thing mm -hmm. but I bet anything the um, the ones who are celebrating enjoy the whole process more and my thing is a lot I mean this has always been me I don't have much interest I want to be high for sure I don't I don't feel the need to be the best that to me I, it's just not an interesting prospect win the gold medal I'm like I don't care um, but the idea of really enjoying it and allowing yourself mm. to enjoy it to me that's like that's where the gold is not the medal obviously but that's where you know life is wonderful where you get to do that and you get to share it and you get to receive it from other people and you get to be happy for other people's achievements as well because that's the other thing if you're the grumpy types like oh god someone else beat me you can't be happy for them but if you're celebrating your own achievements then when other people achieve as well you get to celebrate theirs too and you just have more celebration in your life and in the world like to me that's a bet much better place to be so it's really interesting that's what you've seen really yeah it seems to be a really it does really seem to feel like a positive feedback loop the more you get the more positivity from other people and from yourself you get the more you want to achieve so that you can feel more happy and get more happiness from other people and then the more you want to see other people achieve so that again if it's not competitive between two people or two teams the more you want to see the people around you like that's one of the great things about parkour and obviously there are competitions but when we're not competing you see someone do something great or something that is good for them, you know, something that's a challenge they've beaten. And it doesn't matter what level that actually is, you can still be incredibly happy that they've done that instead of having to feel like, oh, you beat me at tennis. Oh, <laughs> oh I can't be happy um, for him because he beat me. <laughs> it, is, it is an interesting one. I think one of the reasons why I strive to create non-competitive environments is exactly the idea you're talking about there, Billy. Uh, but what I want to do is I want to pull you back to something you both raised there that you both kind of said was so important, which is community. Because obviously like having people around you right now is particularly difficult. 
And yet you've both just talked about some of the happiest moments possible being surrounded by people. Um, what ways, what, what parts of community can we still have? Obviously, I mean, we can chat on Zoom, but there's something missing from that. So what can we do? What is the best way to deal with it? What are some of the issues around it that we can really um, focus on right now? Hmm. I haven't really got very many good answers to this because it's something I've been very much struggling with myself because I don't really have not that we can meet up with people in real life anyway but even I don't really know many people where I live at the moment so it's not even any kind of helping each other in a communal way or working together in the ways we can you know delivering food to people helping people that need it supporting the community because I don't really have much of a community where I currently live at least nowhere close enough that I can they're more the other side of the city so it's you know a good hour's drive once you actually get around to doing it so it's quite difficult but yeah I'm not I'm not really sure of the answer if I'm honest <laughs> that's a fantastic and uh very mature thing to say so I wouldn't worry in the slightest do we uh what do you that's think um it's a really tough one I mean <laughs> I've kind of got a whole bunch of like really little, like now I think about it, really little strategies that I'm using of um, tiny things like, I think when I am out on the street or anything, I think I smile and say hello to people more than normal. Um, you know, good morning, how are you doing? You know, people just just passing on the street or passing in the park and we're not close. That I think there's something about because everyone's so like, oh, we'll stay away from each other, that I'm wanting to connect over that space a bit more. Um, what else? I've certainly been talking to people who I don't often talk to um, through group Zooms or through chats just to catch up. This morning I was sent a, uh, I was sent on WhatsApp a kind of, it was like a recipe swap. It was a, it's a slight sort of pyramid thing. Someone sends it to me, I send it on to so many people and then you, do you remember those chain? Did you ever get those chain letters as kids? It's a bit like I'm. That. I'm definitely old enough. I don't think Billy is. <laughs> so just I was to, when I was young. <laughs> it was a like. Uh, so I had to send something off to someone and then send the instructions on to twenty more people. Anyway, it meant that I suddenly suddenly messaging people who because it said send to 20 of your friends. And I was like, Jesus, I mean, I've got 20 friends, but I haven't been in contact with all of them terribly <laughs> Um, But I was sending this stuff on and then just going on, how are you doing? You know, I thought you might like this. And it's made me talk to people a bit more. I've also, I've, I've got a few little, so part of what's helping me is I've got a couple little projects that I'm working on. And one of them is something that basically involves getting to know my parents better. Um, and so I'm kind of deepening relationships a bit mm. um so yeah it's like little little tactics more than anything. it's interesting it's interesting you can have gone for that little tactics piece because i was listening to a podcast and i'm, I'm just going to throw all the, the ideas um there's a yale psychologist who and i just looked up her name and forgot it again um she she has a podcast called the happiness lab um her name is laurie santos and um she was she's fascinated by the fact that uh most students are 
basically show symptoms of depression. Almost all Yale students show symptoms of depression. It's insane. Uh, why? And um, the thing she came up with uh, as the answer was that um, minor social interactions have a positive effect on our mood that is significantly stronger than we realize. So it's this whole idea of we have a subconscious and a conscious and our conscious might not be aware of how much joy we get out of small continuous social interactions. And so things like smiling at the cashier or saying hi to someone on the street or striking up a short conversation while waiting on a bus and all these really minor things, which actually we, we kind of feel anxious and nervous about are surprisingly important for our mental well-being, which I kind of, I listened to and I went, really? But, you know, she's a Yale professor. So she's probably right. Um, I find that really interesting that you've said the same thing there, Naomi, where you've kind of gone, all the little bits and pieces is actually what you need, not big ideas. So it's yeah. cool that you've come to a similar um, conclusion there. Yeah. And so that's really interesting. So that's something like those little interactions, I guess a couple of years ago, I started really emphasizing those and trying to do them more having just mini conversations with people you know in a queue or with a cashier or whatever and then this morning I went to the park to do some exercise and I was cycling back and there were two men you know like high-vis jackets walking down the middle of quite a narrow road there were cars either side and actually as I was approaching them I was feeling irritated that if they didn't move they were you know I was like I'm on a bike I have to be in the road you don't have to be in the road and I was feeling really irritated about it but then as I got towards them, I was kind of going, Naomi, get over yourself, <laughs> you know, be friendly. And I just smiled and said, hello, at which point these quite grouchy looking guys um, smiled and said hello back. And I had this real like, oh, thank goodness. Like, cause there are so many negative interactions at the moment, you know, where people might say, you're in my space, get out of my space. Not, not me, that's not something I tend to say, but I've certainly, you know, heard it take a two-meter um, broom and just poke people. Yeah, but the thing I might have done is look a bit cross or something, and I made that active decision to smile and say hello, and it meant that I had just a, like, micro-interaction, but it was a really nice one. I've said hello and exchanged a smile with these two guys. Like, actually, I think that stuff is massively important because I realize how I go out in the world and how I how I interact with other people has a massive impact on how they interact with me, which then has a massive impact on my day far more than I feel it should, but it does. Is that part of the self-talk idea as well? That idea of the mindset, your approach? Oh yeah, totally, totally. Because there's a lot about, um, we influence our external experience so much, which is something that I realized I don't know, this was all part of my kind of big discovery. Um, I realized how I thought the world was, um, I thought the world was, you know, treating me a certain way and then I would react to that. And I've realized that is not what happens. It's that I do something, the world responds in some way and that's what I experience. It's much more, of course, not a hundred percent but it's much more dictated by what I'm doing than I ever used to realize. Mm. Cool. Uh, so I'm going to move on, on to another question, another area now. So I've got a couple more areas I want to talk with you all about. Um, um, so I kind of want to talk about 
particularly, I've called them particularly pernicious habits. I think probably just because I like the alliteration. Um, things that you know are bad for you, but you really struggle to kick. Um, my personal one is my, my, my iPhone. I've been in a multi-year effort to separate myself from my iPhone. Um, during lockdown, I recently deleted my Facebook app from my phone. 20 minutes later, I nearly had an anxiety attack. I was so worried that I might miss out on something. I'm about a week into it, and I now care much less about Facebook. But it was so hard and horrible. Um, how should we be thinking about and treating these habits that you know are having a negative impact on your life? How should how do you want how do we approach them? How do we think about them? I guess well to me there's kind of two ways to approach them really. I mean I'm sure there's millions, but the two ways that come to mind are go cold turkey, which sometimes works for some people, and it, but it could also exacerbate the problem more, like you just deleting Facebook and then having a little panic attack. Um, <laughs> but the other would be more the idea of, like we were saying earlier, trying to take it step by step, one thing at a time. So I had the same problem with social media a while ago and I installed a, an app on my phone that allowed me to limit the amount of time I spend on social media to 20 minutes a day. On I think it was 10 minutes on Facebook, I set and 10 minutes on Instagram. And it would just, it lets you skip it if you want to carry on. Like if you need to access it, you can press ignore and it will let you on again. But you can, if, if you've been on for 10 minutes, it's just like, hey, you've been on for 10 minutes and puts a big thing in front of your screen that's basically like, do you, you want to be doing this still? Are you sure? And it's often just enough of that kind of like mental break. It just breaks, because often when you're on social media, you're just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, not really even thinking about what you're doing a lot of times, trying to be, trying to absorb this information that often isn't, isn't really particularly healthy information, but you feel like you need to know it for some reason, even though it's not really that important. And just having that, and then you kind of, you do you see it and you go, was that article about red pandas really that important? <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. Okay, I should probably go and do something else in my life now. Yeah, it's tough on that thing of the phone. I have the exact same problem. Oh, it's awful, hey? Um, I, I wish I had an answer. I don't, a little bit. Um, I mean, I think the thing, the thing that's important at the base of it is, and this is totally a work in progress for me, this is not like I've nailed this, but is to go, why? Like, what's, what's driving me? And usually it's not that that thing is so interesting, although phones are designed to be addictive and social media stuff is designed to be addictive. But generally that's not, that's usually not why we're doing it. It's not because it's so addictive. It's more because we're avoiding something else somehow, like avoiding an emotion or avoiding um, something that's more difficult in some way. You know, it might be, well, I should go and do some work, but that's more difficult because I've got to focus and concentrate. It might be much more interesting and more rewarding, whatever else you might go do. But if it's more difficult to start, then that's tough. Something that I find does help me is to have easy alternatives. So things like having a book that I'm really enjoying mm. will make it easier to put my phone down. Because the thing is, you know, you pick up your phone, you go, I'll just look for a couple of minutes. And then half an hour later, I'm still scrolling on Instagram. And it's, I can feel it. It's to get that dopamine hit of something funny or something like that. Um, so having a 
good book I like definitely helps. And at the base of it is self-examination. What am I avoiding? But even though I know that fact, that that's the thing I should be doing, that is a hard thing to do. So that's not what I do. And mm. instead going, like I've got a little art project going at the moment. That's really helping me. I'll just go do that for a bit. Or I've got, actually, I just finished a really good book. So I need another one. <laughs> or, um, or having my little chart of things I want to achieve because it's there and it's very visible. It's very accessible. That will help me to put my phone down and go and do one of those things. Because I also get a dopamine hit when I complete one of my things that I want to do. So kind of, I'm essentially replacing something addictive with something that is also addictive, but is more beneficial. Mm. So that's my shortcut answer. <laughs> Would I be able to expand on quickly what you just said a second ago, Naomi, about um, that idea of having an easy way out and easy something else to do. And I think that's something you can also expand to movement, especially when we're all kind of in lockdown in our houses. One thing that I feel quite lucky about is the fact that I had quite a lot of things set up already to do this, but the idea of having things you can do in your house that are movement related, they don't always have to be really intense or, you know, doing muscle ups or anything crazy, but I have a climbing fingerboard hanging above one of my doors so that every time I go through that door, it's an opportunity to grab it and have a little swing or just a hang. You know, to me, it's not even an active conscious thing anymore. Every time I go through that door, I just jump to it and grab it and do a little swing off it. And I have, I, just before this all started, I started to learn to juggle. So I have just some juggling balls around. And the amount of times that I'll be doing something not particularly positive and then just see the juggling balls and be like, I'm just gonna juggle for three minutes. And it just gets you up, it gets your blood flowing, even just that little bit, it gets you moving instead of just being completely lazy. Even if you, you know what, even if you're watching something on TV and you can do something with your hand, you can get something going while you're doing these particularly, um, what's the word? Um, I can't think of the word now, particularly still tasks. Um, mm. Passive, I always think that's the thing. Yeah. If something is really passive where you are just absorbing, like TV, Instagram, stuff like that. I mean, TV, there, can, there is some amazing TV out there, but for me, so for some people, I think it can be a really, you know, positive engaging activity. For me, it's not, if I'm watching TV, mm. I'm not really engaged. I mean, I'm engaged, but I'm not. If I read a book, my brain is engaged in a completely different and much more active way. To me, reading a book is a nourishing activity where, social media is not nourishing in any way but yeah mm. easy things exactly I love that juggling balls nearby or something like that yeah like find some easy access stuff that is near it that's near at hand and mm. it takes it takes a bit of effort definitely but something but you need it to be rewarding as well like that's hugely important yeah. juggling is fun and rewarding so you're getting better at it then you get that dopamine hit that just means you're getting it from a sort of positive activity rather than from a crappy one definitely and the other one that i do is i have a clear wall in my living room where i can do handstands because it's just something that you can you don't have to i mean it's better if you do a warm if you can do loads of it you need to warm up and you need to be careful but as long as you're fairly fit you can just chuck yourself into a handstand at pretty much any moment mm -hmm. and have a go and because i have a clear wall and a bit of clear space in the middle of the room i can just do that and it doesn't it may only be 20 seconds of doing a handstand or practicing handstands, but it's just another way you can add that moment of movement, a moment of 
doing something good for you in a day without taking all of your time up, without having to dedicate yourself to, you know, an hour of training and trying to fit more little bits into your day instead of trying to fit a workout in every day. Mm. Like I said, I, before, like, that's what with. Um, I really like, um, so I don't know if you're doing this on purpose, Billy, but one of the things that you're, you keep coming back to is this idea of you're designing your environment to allow you to have the habits you want to have. Yeah. Um, and what's really cool about that is that instead of putting our effort into doing something that we might find difficult, we instead put our effort into creating an environment where we obey those rules automatically. Mm. So um, that idea of like, if you don't have seats, you don't sit. Yes. If you put up a fingerboard, then you'll hang off it because it's there. If you need to set up your rings every day, you'll spend less time on them than if you can find a permanent place for your rings mm -hmm. and all those things where if you go a little bit more effort into creating something, then actually the living of that life is easier. I like, really like that as a takeaway idea from this. Yeah. It's in a way, sorry, sorry. Just a, yeah, I okay. want to come back to you, but you can also put up barriers to stuff you don't want to do in exactly the mm -hmm. same way. So yeah, sorry, Billy. Yeah. And I think that's something that that's one of the things that I'm trying to promote the most at the moment is having ways to, like I said, do that, to have to not think about things, just to do them because they're there, because you enjoy them, or just because they're part of it. Like I've, I've done quite a lot of things, like this desk, obviously you can't buy low desks, you have to modify them, so I cut the legs and I've sorted it all out so it could be a low desk and um, put the fingerboard up and I made some balance beams out from the scaff pole and a few bits of wood that just sit because I've got no furniture, there's also more room because there's no sofas, there's no junk filling up the room that is wasting space. And therefore I can fit some balance beams in the living room. And that means that as you walk through the living room, you almost can't not stand on them. Can't not? Yeah, you almost can't not stand on them because they're there. Of course, you're going to have a little bounce on the way through or do a little jump from one to the other because why wouldn't you? And it does mean there's so much more movement happening in this household of me and my partner than in most households. And I don't think it's particularly difficult. Like I said, there's, a, there's almost like an upfront cost, even if it's not a physical, an actual monetary cost, it's an upfront effort to set up something. But once it's set up, it's a lot easier. And actually, slight tangent, but me and my partner eventually want to build our own house. And we're planning to build our own house with this whole concept in mind that everywhere you go, there is an opportunity to move and an opportunity to have more access to do things without those barriers being there. To have our garden have, because um, we're quite into art and we like um, creativity, but we want to have sculptures that you are able to climb on. It's got, you know, all these things that encourage more movement just in your life. You, should, uh, you should listen to my Facebook Live discussion tomorrow because it's going to be about interactive sculptures and art with uh, oh, really? Isabel and Caelan. I'll listen to that Great, great plug for me. Thanks, Billy. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's my piece. Um, that's a really nice uh, thing. And I kind of, we're kind of, we've hit, we've, we've passed an hour. So I kind of want to just um, finish up on a, what I think is a really important idea. 
and one that's reflected in a lot of the conversations we've had so far, which is literally a question that I've seen out there. And it seems, it seems so absurd to me, but it seems so true. Um, everyone on Instagram seems to be having these transformational isolation periods where they rediscover their talents, learn new language, undergo amazing transformations. But uh, I'm just sitting here mostly tired and scared. Do I just lack self-control? Why can't I be like my Instagram heroes? I love it and I hate it but the thing that I think the most important thing to remember is we then think Instagram social media I mean life in general it's that thing about you're comparing your interior with everyone else's exterior it's like you know all the stuff about yourself you know that you shit and it smells and you know and all of this and you know the days when you're lying on the bathroom floor crying and you never see those in anyone else, except for maybe the people who are incredibly close to you. And so you might know a hundred people and one of them is having a transformational experience that they're talking about on Instagram. They may not be to start with, you know, who knows how well this language learning is going, but also what about the 99 other people? That's why I don't really like it. I honestly, the only thing I look at on Instagram generally is stuff that's funny <laughs> because I don't want to read about everyone else being perfect. I think one of the other things to remember is that for a lot of people, especially the bigger Instagrammers and the bigger YouTube and things like that, it's it's their job to make their lives look amazing. Not for everyone, definitely not for everyone, but even if it's not your job, a lot of people have the aspiration for that to be their job, to be an influencer. And therefore it may just be 100% a blatant lie that they're just saying, yeah, look, I've got this amazing thing that's happening. But you have to remember that that is their job to make their life seem like this amazing thing that you want to live so that they can sell whatever product they're pushing on you. And it's a bit depressing, but it doesn't, it's what they're saying may have almost no connection to the reality of their life at all. Mm. I think a really big thing is to go, um, it's kind of that thing about be kind to yourself again of mm. if you get to the end of the day and you go what did I do today and honestly the answer is well I got out of bed and I had a shower kind of thing and that's all yes. I yes that's that all really I achieved um I think that the really good question is considering where I am right now is that an achievement and if you're mm. going no actually I was just being completely lazy okay I won't do that you know maybe I'll be a bit more active tomorrow if you're going that was an achievement that was really hard then that was an achievement and that was winning and I think that's a really important thing because everyone's at different places at all points and you might be in a mess in one area and doing pretty well in another and everyone else is in different places and we always see the shiny bits of other people but but I think that thing about just get honest with yourself because there, uh, someday, like Friday, right? I had such a write-off day Friday. I don't know what happened. I was just, I was just like, oh my God, it's not happening. And I ended up going back to bed in the middle of the morning. I was like, I'm tired. I'm having a nap. I was feeling really cross. And I basically wrote the day off and I didn't need to. I was okay. But I was also like, I'm just giving myself this day. I'm not going to worry about it, which meant I could start from a fresh slate Actually, I took the whole weekend off as well because I just had a weekend. But it meant actually today I wasn't starting beating myself up. I was like, 
I'm feeling quite refreshed now, I can start again. And I know historically, I might've been much more like, oh God, I should have done this on Friday and kind of spent more of Friday trying to make myself do it. And then probably Saturday and Sunday, well, I didn't do it Friday. So now I've got, and then I'm just exhausted by the time Monday comes around and I achieve nothing. So I think that kind of stuff's really important. Just where am I really and get honest. And if I am being lazy, then maybe be like, okay, come on, don't be lazy. You know, get your ass and give but in a kind of nice way, not like, don't be fucking lazy. And so it's just like, okay, <laughs> come on, let's do something productive now. One of the um, best bits about the whole isolation is the fact that you can lose a day and it quite clearly doesn't matter. And I think that was also true before, but I think that we didn't necessarily appreciate that because you do get stuck in the rat race. But it's kind of cool to go, oh, didn't really get my goals done today. Oh, well, I'll do them tomorrow. And to be able to just let go. Yeah. In, which is, it's, it's, a, it's a relatively new experience for me personally because I um, haven't really stopped working as hard as I can for about a decade now. So <laughs> it's cool to just go, oh, I just spent 10 minutes looking out the window and it doesn't matter. That's really quite pleasant in some ways. Um, and hope maybe it's something we can learn. It can be very beneficial. If you spend your life working really, really hard, then 10 minutes staring out the window might help you kind of refresh and kind of calm your brain down a bit so that you can focus better when you do get back to it. Not necessarily like everyone's different. Everyone functions in different ways, but yeah, pushing really, really, really hard isn't the only way to get a lot done. Yeah. Hey, cool. All Congratulations. Right. Staring out the window 10 minutes. You haven't done it for 10 years. I would say that's a win. Um, <laughs> that's worryingly accurate. Um, guys, thank you so much for joining me for this uh, live interview. Um, it's been really interesting talking with all these different people about these different things. It's nice to be able to sit here and kind of cross-connect. So like the number of times that you guys have said something and it's like triggered an entirely different area of an entirely different conversation for me. And I see how they all overlap. Um, and I just get to sit here learning things, which is awesome. Um, thank you both for your time. Um, have you got anything else you'd like to say, anything you'd like to plug or talk about, or anything you just want our audience to know before we finish off? Uh, I have one more book that I forgot to mention, or two more books that I forgot to mention earlier um, that I would like to mention. Primate Change is a very good book about the health effects of um, our indoor lifestyle compared to how our body was designed to move and be used it's um i think it's by a guy who wasn't particularly into it at first it's quite he, he wasn't he's not like an expert we've been talking about it for years it's a guy's kind of self-discovery of living on the floor and the effects of um of the modern world and desks and computer screens and all that the other book that i like is um a tiny little one called food for free it's just there's a bigger version than a smaller one and it's, it's more, it's not a book that you would read. It's more just a little guide that you can take around, like a pocket-sized guide with um, seasonal wild food that is around you. So when you're out on your little quarantine walk, you may I spot. I assume that's for British wildlife? or That is, that one's for British, but there are other versions. I don't think I've heard of this, but there are other small pocket guides for different uh, areas of the world. But like, for instance, at the moment, we've got um, 
wild garlic, lots of wild garlic growing, and we've got uh, Japanese knotweed, which is a bit like rhubarb, growing all over the place. And I could find, I'm not going to search for everything right now, but yeah. But we've got a few things growing. If you want some free food, it's out there. Potentially, depends where you live, but. <laughs> cool. Anything, Naomi, or will we finish off there? Um, just that I'm, so I'm a coach and I coach and people are going through a tough time. You know, I'm available if anyone wants a chat, can hit me up, give me a shout. Also, particularly for frontline NHS people, I'm really happy to put, um, you know, coaching time aside and obviously not charging for that. So, yeah. That's a really cool thing. Awesome. With any uh, frontline NHS workers, they should definitely get in contact with Naomi. All right, guys, thank you for your time. Uh, we're going to finish the live stream there. Thanks all who've been watching. Um, I'll be back tomorrow talking to Caitlin and Isabel about art and sculptures, um, where I'm going to be way out of my debt. So come and watch me look very confused. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for having us. Yeah. Uh,